The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. Okay, today we're going to focus on a trend that impacts the careers of a large number of marketers, including myself. As distributed or remote workforces become more of a viable option for companies, an increasingly large number of marketers are becoming professional service providers, and they're choosing to engage with employees as independent contractors instead of going into a traditional employment agreement. With us today is Liston Witherell, who's the creator of the 60-Day Sales Plan, and he's the host of the Liston.io podcast, which is focused on sales training for professional service providers. Liston is a sales trainer and coach for consultants who are looking to sell with confidence, win dream clients, and leave the pressure and awkwardness of the sales process behind. And in this episode, Liston is going to walk us through why more marketers are choosing to work as professional service providers and what are some of the primary issues facing marketing consultants. Here is the first part of our interview with Liston from the Liston.io show. Liston, welcome to the MarTech podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I want to start off by saying I have been listening to your podcast and I know that it's relatively new. And first off, I love the content, but more than anything, I love the theme music. And from what I understand, you actually created it yourself. Yes, I did create it myself. And thank you. So now that I have you here, I just want to say welcome to the Liston.io show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I feel very welcome. Thank you, Ben. Good. Great to talk to another podcaster and... I feel like you're an expert who can not only help a lot of marketers, marketing professionals, and you can help me. So excited to talk about what life is like as a marketing consultant and why marketers are choosing to go down the professional services path. But let's start off with a little background about you. How did you get into your area of expertise? How'd you get your job? Well, no one gave it to me. I created it. So I have been around technology all my life. I built my first computer when I was 12. And so I've always had a strong interest in technology. Fast forward a lot. I went to grad school and I got a master's degree in environmental science and management. And my goal there was to go into environmental consulting. So after grad school, I ran business development and marketing for a about an 80 person, say 10 to $12 million consulting firm up in the Bay Area. 
And while I was there, I started to dig into the whole world of digital marketing and learned about creating our website and getting traffic and email marketing and all these other things. And it started to work for the company that I was working for at the time. And everybody there was very surprised <laughs> that any of these things would be working for them. You know, it's amazing how if you actually market and like tell people that you're alive, they may respond. So I started doing that and I just became so fascinated with marketing. And so I started out as just a freelancer and then I created a boutique little agency. A partner and I ran that and we had a variety of other contractors. And my primary job as a business owner is to actually make sales and then deliver on those sales. And I realized I had an advantage there. So what I decided to do was kind of restructure my business so that I was able to teach other professional service providers how to more effectively sell their services. That's how I got my job, I guess. Okay. So you actually started off in a totally different field. You were interested in environmental sciences. You were working for an agency and decided to branch out on your own. And now you're providing sales support for service professionals, which is a pretty big departure from the natural sciences field. It is, but my goal was always to be on the business side of professional services. So maybe it appears to be a huge departure, but what I was always focused on was helping people internally. You know, a big part of the business development role at a consulting company is helping other experts be more effective at selling and marketing themselves and selling and marketing the company. So it's actually not that big of a departure. And what's driven me all along, Ben, was to really understand how and why people make decisions. That obviously is a very important thing to understand in both sales and marketing for slightly different reasons, and maybe they'd be applied slightly differently. We've both made the leap from being hired by a company, having an employment agreement to being independent. And I think that what I've seen from doing this podcast and just through my personal network, a lot of people are really curious about the mechanics of going out on your own. And I think they consider it to be something that requires a being brave. It's a risk to branch out on your own. And at least what I've found is there is no less security as an independent consultant than there is when I was working for early stage startups. And there's a little bit more control as a consultant. Tell me a little bit about your experience branching out on your own and talk to me about the reasons you see more marketers specifically deciding to become professional service providers. So my experience was that I wanted to have a little bit more control over my professional life and the direction of my professional life. One of the things that was frustrating for me was while I was at this company, I was basically told that I had to wait in line like everybody else 20 to 30 years before I made partner. And that timeline didn't work for me <laughs> because I'm really impatient. And, you know, maybe that was a fair thing for them to do, but I didn't like that timeline. I wanted also to work on deals that were a little bit faster. And so I was able, when I went out on my own, to have more control over what I was actually doing. And my thought was if I could really nail digital marketing and sales, I could run almost any business that I wanted to run. It was essentially like a paid MBA. I get to get paid by clients while I'm still kind of learning on the job and helping them do whatever they're trying to do in their business. And that allows me to accelerate my learning while I'm not coming out of pocket to do it. So that was huge. 
And the way I started to do that was I hung my shingle. I created a website. I was listed on a few different marketplaces that weren't specifically for like a giant marketplace for freelancers, but were able to funnel me some leads. So I built up my business to the point where I was actually making more money in my freelance work than I was in my day job. That's a major hustle. And it's not for everybody. And I didn't have kids at the time. I don't have kids now. So that was an advantage in being able to work that many hours because I was probably working realistically something like 70 or 80 hours a week in order to achieve that. It's a grind. But I built up the freelance career alongside my day job, which gave, you mentioned courage, that really helped solidify the courage to take the leap. And my biggest concern, Ben, was what if this doesn't work out? And what if I'm homeless? What if I lose everything? And then I started to do the exercise of asking myself, okay, well, what's really the worst that could happen? And probably the worst thing that would happen is I just pick up a few clients, not enough. I make less money for three to six months, and then I decide to go get a job somewhere else. So the alternative wasn't that terrible. So I would encourage anybody listening to this, if you're not sure that you have the courage or if that this is a good idea, I get really clear on why you want to do it and what you're actually risking realistically by doing it, because chances are the risks aren't nearly as big as you think they are today. And for me, another big piece that I didn't mention about going out on my own is I really wanted to build an internet-based business where I don't work with clients in person. I'm able to work with anybody in the world. And that gives me a lot of freedom of place and geography, which has allowed me to move cities and really not have any interruption in my business. So there are all these different benefits that come from it. And it was scary. It ultimately took my wife saying, Will you just do it already? <laughs> you know, we had the conversation for like the 10th time, like, I don't know, is now the right time? And she goes, will you just do it already? So I said, okay, I guess this is the time to do it. So I took the leap and I it was actually at the time, Ben, when I was walking away from a CMO position at the company that I was at. And I said, you know, actually, I'm going to leave instead. So it was a risk and I was walking away from something that would have been a good opportunity for me. But I figured that if I had a few years to build this, it would turn into something that I was really proud of and really paid off. And it's doing that. I haven't talked too much about my career path on this podcast, primarily because the focus was to help marketers understand more about different channels. And I've had a few emails from people that are listeners trying to understand what my perspective was. So the funny thing about your experience and mine is it was the exact opposite, where I was managing early stage startups and those jobs lasted for one to two years on a routine basis. And so I was constantly going back and forth and looking for other jobs, either because the company failed, because another opportunity came up, I was recruited by a different company, or sometimes the relationships just don't work out and early stage startups are a grind. So when I left my last startup, I never intended to be a marketing consultant. I thought I was taking on one or two short-term projects because it was over the holidays. Right. And I leveraged my personal network. And the next thing you knew, I had my two clients at the same time and two grand into three, which ended up being 12 for the first year. And the next thing you know, I had a business. And I'll be honest, it is terrifying at times. Yeah. Being a consultant and being independent because 
the beauty of it is you have a clean slate and there is no ceiling. You can work as much and work as hard and potentially make as much as you'd like to. But on the flip side, you can actually lose money and not run a successful business. And that's one of the reasons that keeps people in their day jobs. And I'll say that whenever I run into that sort of feeling of anxiety, it's always great to talk to people like you who are professional service providers and coaches. And I've actually engaged in more coaching relationships and got more mentorship through my consulting practice because I've actively searched for people to give me advice as opposed to assume that somebody in the organization I was in would give it to me. Mm -hmm. So I guess what I'd like to hear from you, having told either my story of success or my sob story, depending on how you look at it. Time for a one minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. There are marketers that are choosing to go down this path and more and more people are making that decision. What do you know about the transition going from being an employee to a consultant? How fast is that happening and why are people making that decision? Well, I think a lot of different reasons. There's a nonprofit called Freelancers Union, and they do a very, very large study. It's the largest study that I know of where they survey freelancers and consultants and contractors and basically anybody who's working independently who's not an employee. So they're estimating it's, I think, about 35% of the U.S. workforce falls into this category, which is huge, right? Does that include your Lyft, Uber drivers, like all independent contractors? Or are we talking professional service? People who earn a living or at least a portion of their living independently. Okay. 35% of the working economy. Correct. It's not a small amount. No. <laughs> to me, the interesting part is, sure, it's a huge part of the economy. And a lot of that is the on-demand service providers, your Lyft and Uber drivers. But in reality, there is also the top end of the economy, which is the professional service providers charging hundreds of dollars per hour or large retainers as well. 
Exactly. And that latter group is the group that I'm more focused on serving because that's where I can provide the most value. But to your question, why are people choosing to do it? The data is pretty uniform in that a lot of people choose to be independent in order to be their own boss. So some people do that in the negative sense. They want to fire their boss. And some people do that in the positive sense. They want more control. They want more freedom. One thing that I always say is I can be so nimble in my business because I don't need approval from anybody if I want to go do a marketing campaign or try some new sales process or build a product or whatever. I can just go do it. And that comes with upsides and downsides. Like you were saying earlier, maybe I should have a coach or people to bounce those ideas off of because it does help to have some group wisdom. But I think that that's the main reason a lot of people are going out and choosing to become independent. The other thing is you live in the valley, the global beacon of technology, and the average life of an employee at a lot of these companies is one to two years, often closer to one. Like even at Google, I think it's 1.1 years is the average lifespan of an employee there. So you're seeing a situation where people are more flighty. That makes companies a little less loyal. Maybe companies were already less loyal. But this idea that employment brings so much stability, I think a lot of people are starting to question that idea as a basis for their career. They're starting to go, well, maybe I should figure out all this other stuff so that I can be in charge of my own destiny. Because at the end of the day, a company, all they care about is either raising more money or getting more customers or maybe scratching people off their books like Intel. I live in Portland, Oregon, and Intel fired a pretty significant number of people, thousands of people recently. So, you know, that has a giant ripple effect through the economy. And maybe that created another thousand independent contractors or consultants. I don't know. But I think a lot of people are seeing that this story of go get a job and you'll have stability and you'll have retirement is starting to go away. And also, it's interesting if you look at the data, it shows that younger people disproportionately are more comfortable with working as freelancers, at least part time. So I think part of it is the tools also are transforming what we think is possible. Yeah, I think that's a huge part. A, the technology is there. And I said that in the intro of this podcast, where having remote and distributed workforces is much more of a viable option. I do think there's something to a digitally native workforce, somebody that grew up with access to a computer has more technical skills. So they are potentially a little bit more flexible. They've also been branding and marketing themselves online. That's part of the growth of social media. And so they understand the idea of promoting yourself. So being a brand in itself is not something that's new to them. And they feel comfortable marketing themselves as a service provider. And the idea that you mentioned of being able to be your own boss, having autonomy, being nimble, not having a ceiling, being control, I think those are the primary reasons why people are shifting. And the security of employment isn't necessarily there where it used to be get a job and 30 years in a gold watch. So let's change the conversation a little bit to what are some of the issues that you see working with professional service providers that they face both when they're getting started and as they're trying to scale? Why don't we start at the beginning? How do most professional services firms start? So I think a lot of people have your story. You were at a company. There was no longer a fit for you at that company. So you guys parted ways. And now you're going, okay, what now? Let me just fill in the gaps. Sometimes that company will hire you back as a contractor. Sometimes you just tap your network. 
The second way is a lot of people work at agencies. A marketer would work at an agency and then they have a few great clients and those clients say, hey, you know, if you ever decide to go out on your own, I totally hire you. And they go, oh, okay. And they do that and they have a few anchor clients. So those are the two big ways. And then there's what I would call the charismatic founder, the person who goes out and just kicks up a ton of dust and just makes it happen. That's very rare, but that's another model. So those are the three primary models that I see. The first two, which are the most common, say 95% of all cases, someone gets fired or leaves. Here's something that they have baked into their culture. They're reactive and all of their business is coming from their network. So one of the key problems that they're going to face is they don't have chops for developing new business because you are going to reach a point where you've exhausted your first degree network to use a LinkedIn terminology, but the people you already know, Mm -hmm. you're going to come to a point where you exhaust that and you're going to need to find additionality, new business, new sources of business. So that's one challenge. I think another challenge that pretty much everyone faces is how am I different? How do I position myself in the marketplace to be remembered and to win work without too much effort? And that's not to say winning work should be easy. It's just to say on a spectrum of a ton of effort versus just the minimum amount of effort in order to win the clients you want. Most people are more on the, it requires a ton of effort side. And part of that is a positioning and marketing problem. So ironically, I think most marketers will be faced with the problem of marketing themselves effectively because you can't just say, I do services X, Y, Z, because everybody does that. So that's a second problem. And then the third problem that I see is having enough process and structure in order to scale employees if that's the way you want to build your business. So a lot of people just want to win more clients and add more staff in order to take a third of the revenue that each person generates from their billable time. And you really need to have a process in place so that you're maintaining your brand and you're able to bring in new people so that they know what the program is. And you're able to do that in a decent amount of time, say three months and not nine or 12. I think that's great advice. And if I had to summarize, essentially, there are three problems that consultants face mostly when they're getting started. One is they are reactive and they don't have their sales process. Two is they are not uniquely positioned. They are putting themselves out there and talking about their tangible skills, but not creating any sort of sense of differentiation. And three is when they're having success, being able to scale and being able to build processes to work with other people and get work off their plate. And I think that thinking about those three issues are fundamental for anybody who's starting to think about a consulting business or people like me that are running them to think about where they're having a problem and where they should focus their effort. I think that's a good stopping point for today. So that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Liston Witherill for joining us. In part two of our conversation with Liston, which we'll publish tomorrow, we're going to talk about some best practices and tools that help marketing consultants improve their sales processes. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Liston, we have a link to his bio in our show notes where you can visit his website, which is liston.io. If you didn't have a chance to write down your notes while you're listening to this podcast, we've created an overview and we have a transcription of the entire conversation, which you can find through a link in our show notes or by visiting our website, which is martechpod.com, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D.com. 
If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, we want you to feel like a member of our community. So if you have questions, comments, or you'd like to be a guest on the show, feel free to click the link in our show notes, or you can reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter. Our social handle is LLC. Of course, you could also go to the martechpod.com website and there's a contact us form there. If you haven't subscribed yet and you want a weekly stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to part two of our conversation with Liston Witherill, we've got some great episodes lined up next week. So if you're interested in learning about topics like reporting, analytics, data protection, or organic marketing on Instagram, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.